Should we try an intro? Would that be weird? Yeah, let's do it. Like, because, uh, you know, I know who you are, obviously, but I don't know Taryn. <laughs> yeah. And so I've heard um, so much and I've listened to your voice very many times. Taryn. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm waving at Jeremy, but none of you can see that because we don't have video <laughs> as part of the recording, but nonetheless, <laughs> gesticulations and waves. So, uh, for all of you at home who haven't realized uh, by now, by the similarities in our laughs and, and intonation, this is my brother, <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy, that's Taryn. Taryn's my partner in crime. Jeremy, what's up, man? Thanks for coming and chatting with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Jeremy's a longtime educator, um, community influencer, activist, and all-around amazing human being. Oh, I'm not just saying that because he's my brother, <laughs> but much like um, the other members of my family who are all teachers, um, really actually tries to make an impact in their community and the population at large in Pennsylvania by, you know, not just being a, an incredibly dedicated teacher, but actually, you know, trying to instill some valuable life lessons as well as whatever subject they're teaching. So. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome aboard. Thanks, man. I try mm -hmm. to so I've been I've been at this game for twenty one years and I just finished my twenty oh first year of education. That's crazy. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, it is crazy. To think of like where I came from and, and where I am now. Like um the funny part is the frustrations are the same. You know? Mm. Um because a lot of the of course being in education, you know all the problems in education because um Everybody has experienced education, right? Um, everybody has at least gone through some sort of rudimentary uh, forced schooling upon them, right? And so everybody has the ability to talk about it and everybody thinks that they're an expert, right? Um, and that makes any kind of decision-making or policies or um, choices that, that are made are influenced by a whole group of air quote experts, right? Um, however, you know, they're not the ones in the trenches, the ones that actually see what's going on and what is, what is changed about the face of education today. Um, and, and what is the purpose even of education? You know, like, why do we have kids in school like this? You know, why are they taking chemistry class, which is the class that I teach, why are they forced to take that in high school, you know? And it all like boils down to uh, change in public education is, is near impossible mm. um, because there's so many hands in the pot and everybody has an, uh, an expert opinion, if you will. Um, so the, the, the question is, is are we just fermenting children until they reach adulthood um, in a safe environment, which is good. Like, that's a good thing. It's important to have your children be fermented in a safe environment, right? Um, or are we trying to, what, what I would hope is the key, um, is the point of education to um, help them discover their passion and their purpose and, mm -hmm. um, you know, what makes them unique and what, what, uh, what they can contribute to this world. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's that's my goal in chemistry class is to try to figure out what are you good at and and how can you be the best at that 
and, and enjoy, you know, the rest of your life based upon that. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I, I definitely resonate with the latter idea about the purpose of education. Um, and I certainly think that I totally agree there's value in having a safe space for kids as well. Um, one of the questions I have is that, you know, and I do not in any way claim that I'm an expert. Um, I have a, a child who has been through a narrow bandwidth of public school in the state of North Carolina, which was not a good fit for her, um, nor was the private school that we sent her to. Um, you know, and there's like a huge range of ways that humans are, probably almost as many as there are humans. And of course, there's patterns to that and different fits for different, you know, folks and constitutions and ways of looking at the world. So acknowledging all of that, um, one of the things that it appears to me, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, is I feel like another dimension, especially of public education, but of all education, at least that I have seen, participated in, or read about in the United States, um, except for some really weird shit, uh, feels like it's it's weighted also towards cultivating in the student a set of tacitly agreed upon capacities to fit into social norms, but especially economic norms. Um, and there's like this dimension, which to me feels like the... Um, it's not invisible because I don't think I'm unique in seeing this, but like invisible as in it's not really publicly addressed of like, we're turning you into someone who participates in the economy because we believe that the economy is the way to understand whether or not civilization is successful. But it's like, it's all commodification and monetization at that level, which is not to say there aren't these other levels, right? But this level for me is the one that um, I kind of find most alarming because I feel like it, you know, we're, we're reproducing a particular orientation to civilizational structure that I think for many of us, when we look around, we can see is not working out so well Yeah, for, for yeah. the planet or for those of us that, you know, uh, well, I mean, we can't separate ourselves from the planet, but like for the planet <laughs> no. as a whole, right. And all, all right. Of the, the lifing that has arisen out of, um, you know, planet earth. So you know, it's kind of, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that my questions can kind of ramble and are more like contextual <laughs> frames for kind of like, here's what I'm curious about. And I'm curious to hear thoughts either directly related or, you know, adjacently related to that, because I know we're jumping a little bit into the deep end with this one, but it's, it's, it's something that is like on my mind a lot, you know, as a dad of an 11 year old, especially mm -hmm. like in these times. And I started homeschooling her. When the pandemic started and you know that's its own whole interesting conversation that i might like to talk to you off mic about at some point <laughs> especially about chemistry um but yeah i'm very curious to hear your thoughts on on some of these you know not as uh overt dynamics that seem to be part of the like inherent structure of education in the u.s i feel like it's it's all stems from the the fact that we see capitalism as a, 
uh, an unfaltering religion in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, Preach. It, right. And so like we have to prepare everybody to participate in capitalism as good capitalists would, you know, and they have to be taught how to consume, um, how to work a job or two or three so that they can, you know, continue to get stuff. And so they continue to, um, participate in this thing. And we have to, we have to value that, Mm -hmm. right? We value, um, even, even like teaching kids sports, you know, when you get into, when you're in elementary school, you, you play sports because it's a social, um, kind of activity. It, it gets you outside, gets you playing, gets you active. And those are great things. Those are really great things. And then when you get to, uh, junior high and high school, they start preparing you for, are you ready for the varsity team? Right. Mm. Can you be on the varsity team? And, um, are you good enough now for that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also a soccer coach for 14 years and, um, my, my purpose, um, as a soccer coach was to get kids ready to coach their kids someday nice. because, um, you know, if you look at the statistics, the, the chances of one of my soccer players going on and playing in the MLS is slim to none. Mm-hmm. And even if they are playing in the MLS, they even might have a side hustle because <laughs> right? yep. it doesn't pay like, like the NBA or the NFL or the, or the, uh, or baseball or anything. Um, but there was kids that, that were hoping to get a free education out of it, to go to college, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's an achievable goal. Um, but everybody is going to, well, not everybody, a lot of people are going to have kids someday, right? They're going to have their own children. And um, when you have your own children, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with this, Taryn, and you try to have them participate in sports um, immediately, if you show any inkling as to you might be a good coach or a, a living coach, that they will hire you as a coach. By hire, I mean tell you that you're doing it and bringing orange slices, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got a coach and your wife has to coordinate the snack schedule. Good luck. <laughs> but that's that's what I had to uh, realistically preparing my kids for, you know, um, is is that what, what is that next stage? You know? And so like, um, when I look at my classroom in particular, what am I preparing my students for? You know, am I preparing my students to be chemists? Probably not. Right. Um, am I preparing my students to think about abstract concepts on a regular basis and make decisions based on data? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely my deal. Right. So, I'm mm. probably kind of mm. unique in that, in that I know that my subject is not important for a lot of people. Um, I recognize that the, the, my population of students, most of them aren't going to go on to study this, right? But all of them are going to need it, right. you know, need the lessons that they learn in my classroom. And so um, I approach it from, from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually very freeing when you do that because you know, I'm not concerned with by the end of the course, are they going to remember what happens, you know, when uh, silver nitrate reacts with copper metal? <laughs> okay, fine. But at the moment, they had to think critically about it. And if they wanted to go out into the world now and if they were posed with that question, they could figure out how to find the answer. 
right. you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the key. That's what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I think I'm definitely in the minority, um, thinking that my, my subject isn't the most important thing in the world <laughs> amongst teachers anyway, because it's kind of our mindset as we get into it. This is like an area that we loved, right? We were mm-hmm. really good at it in college and we were like, yeah, I'm going to inspire everybody to do what I wanted, what I did, you know, and it's, this is going to be awesome. And you're going to love it. And if you don't love it, you fail. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it sounds it, like you, you do really feel passionate about your subject. If we either dive down or scope out a level of abstraction, right? Because mm-hmm. it sounds like chemistry is a vehicle to teach reasoning and thinking, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And right. so if what you're teaching, you know, if what you're doing is trying to train the mind for a certain set of capacities, it's sort of irrelevant what subject you're using to do that, right? Not irrelevant in the sense that that subject has no meaning, right? But you're training something uh, you're using the subject as a lens to teach a set of principles and protocols that operate at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? So, I mean, I, yeah. I, that, it's, I mean, it sounds, mm-hmm. I can hear that you love your subject. <laughs> I can also hear that you love chemistry, but it's like, but at the same time, sounds to me like, you know, what's being taught, whether it's something that is, the students are cognizant of or not, right, is, is something that is, perhaps more than ever even mm-hmm. instrumental and necessary if we're going to, you know, have any opportunity to navigate this absurdly complex and indeterminate landscape mm-hmm. right. know, that we're right. living into. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the challenge that I face is like when I get, so, so I'll get my kids in class and, and I'll get them to the point where I'm, they're, they're making like evidence-based conclusions, let's say, mm. you know, and they're starting to like actually look at their, their data that they get. And what does that data say? And I'm like, yes, yes, I'm doing it. And then they'll just talk about a current event in a way that just shows me that they have absolutely (laughs) done, done zero research on it. Uh, And they've just taken something somebody said at face value. And I'd like, no, no, this is exactly what I'm talking about, man. Like, this is it. Well, how do you know that? They're like, well, because I saw it. Wait, where did where did you see it? Right. Well, right. I saw it on the internet, dude. That's not a place. Like, <laughs> it's like I saw it in the universe, man. Like, right. Come on, right. <laughs> come on. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I try to have my students like look at that, like say, okay, now you saw this thing, right? And it could be totally legit, like a hundred percent legit. Mm-hmm. But how do you know? How do right. you know if it's legit or not? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like a, that is the battle that I struggle with like every year. Mm-hmm. Every year. And I don't know. That's the thing I don't know is am I getting better at that part? Right. You know, like, well, I, think I mean, that, but it's getting. Sorry, Lucas, go. I was just going to say, um, especially in the last five years, that battle seems to be harder and harder because, you know, it's this tipping point, like you're saying, you know, where. You, because we're emotionally elicited through some sort of, you know, Instagram post or meme or whatever, you know, you're engaged because we struck a chord for something that means something to you. So now you're, you're anti into the subject 
is pretty high. You're like, okay, I'm in, I'm invested now. I'm, 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 you know, aroused in some way. But now you got to bring up the level of fact checking to, to outweigh that emotional impulse so that now you can have a, uh, an actual um, informed opinion about it. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of effort. And now, and that, and that's like our daily life now. It's like right. you get this, you're gaslit, boom, from some impulse. And then you're like, wait, 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 hold on. I got to like, I got to suss this out. But it's not like, you know, the pace of society is so much faster because mm-hmm. you're con- continuously inundated with these things. So now your your homework every freaking day is like more than, you know, your job or jobs you know, workload. You, and, and so people feel, I think they're sort of stuck in this, you know, continuous hamster wheel of, well, I got to like research this. I just heard about this. So I got to research that. I got to hear about that. I can research that. And nobody has any time. So then they're just going to like, you know, eat the donut that is the meme and not, you know, you know, cook a meal that is the research. Do you know what I mean? Ooh, I like that. That's a very beautiful <laughs> metaphor. I'm going to have to use that. And, you know, it's like the big three, I mean, though it certainly sounds, Jeremy, like you're, and I'm sure many other people are making inroads into teaching them in terms of ontology, epistemology, and phenomenology, in terms of like meta frames to how do we, okay, if I'm going to research this thing, how, how do I know? Like, what are we talking about? Mm -hmm. You know, like, and what is my experience? Like being able to ask those questions is more more and more important in the landscape, Lucas, that you're describing, right? And so it seems like, Jeremy, in your situation, if I can sort of cast myself into trying to teach in the way that I'm hearing that you want to teach, as there's this like exponential growth in the chaos of the information ecology, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's intense, man. I mean, yes. like what worked five years ago ain't enough anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. How are you? How are you thinking yeah, that's, about that's, that? That's the fun part because like everybody said, you know, people say like your, your first couple of years teaching are, are the most difficult, right? Because you got to figure out, out how you're going to do this. And I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for those first couple of years to be over <laughs> so that I can like figure out, like, so I get a routine down because right. like you can't, you can't stop like relearning everything and being completely in touch with how your students are getting information, Mm. you know, like, and it's, it's really hard because like there's a million different forms of social media now. And, you know, I I can't be on all of them. Right. Oh God, no. Nor do I have a desire to be on all of them, but there's a part of me that wants to like be able to peek into their world, Mm. you know, and be like, okay, well, what's this driving force? What is the, you know, what is the, uh, what is the dopamine trigger for the, for this? You know, why, why do you do this? And, but, and, and so, you know, I, with that, you, you get like a whole, you, you figure out the ways the kids get information, right? How are they getting, how are they learning right now? Because learning isn't of course, uh, just limited to the four walls of the school, right? Right learning is, is, is life. Right. And how do I keep that with them? How do I foster that with them so that they realize that they're not, they don't know anything. 
<laughs> you don't know anything. You just, you got to keep trying to figure it out. Right. And as soon as you figure it out, it changes. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the challenge, you know, is to, to keep those kids, keep kids open-minded to ideas at, but at the same time, um, critical, you know, mm-hmm. have them be critical about what is this thing that, that I see, is this real or is this just, you know, somebody trying to sell me something mm-hmm. or is this real or is this somebody trying to get me angry about something that mm-hmm. I really don't need to be angry about. Right. And, um, I think that's what has increased a lot in the past couple of years is you should be angry about this, right? Be angry and mm-hmm. then spread that anger, you know, <laughs> and it's like, yeah. dude, well, it's, no, it's no, even, it's even more that. intense, right? It's like, don't just be angry, be outraged, right? right? Incoherent right. and beyond the capacity to think or reason so that you go into a binary state where us is good and them is evil and should be killed. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the, it, we have, we have escalated this, like we've just rolled back the clock, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. essentially to a dark age perspective. Mm-hmm. We just like blew up the enlightenment, <laughs> which, you know, has its own problems. Right. But I mean, that's, a, that's essentially what it looks like to right. me where I'm like, Oh, well, you know, all capacity for human reason. Let's just scud- scuttle that business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So are you are you reterming this na- this age the darkening? <laughs> are we? Oh, I'm are not, we coining I'm not that term that. right now. Just, the no, definitely not. Is that no the name of this fly, episode? But I do think that there's an <laughs> element to a big portion of the information ecology that that's a fair description of. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can ever be actively living in the darkening era, right? Mm. Because mm. you don't see it as darkening, right? Right. During right. the time that you're in it, they have to label it afterwards. Yeah. Fair, and I right. say that was the darkening. Yeah, it was bad then, but mm-hmm. now we got we got out of that. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, part of my part of my job, as I see it, is to figure out how to how to make kids better humans. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the ways, so the, I can't do that, you know, in a in a classroom setting as as much as I can do that in another setting. So I decided that I was going to be the key club advisor for the high school and key club is the community service club. Mm. Okay. It's it's, um, associated with Kiwanis international Mm -hmm. and um, all those, all those adult clubs are kind of dying breeds at this point, um, which is really sad. Like there's the same three people in my Kiwanis club and my Kiwanis club. Now um, 10 years ago, there was a different Kiwanis club for each you know, school district. Um, and now my Kiwanis club covers four school districts, right? So these three people are taking care of four school districts worth of, uh, key club kids. Right. Can, can I pause you for a second? Please. I have heard of Kiwanis, but I don't actually know what it is. Uh, they're, they're a, uh, they're a community service club, just like the lions club, just like, um, uh, like the Masons, like what they actually do is just, community service stuff. So, um, for example, the, the one that I, that I'm a part of the, the Kiwanis that we're a part of up here, they do, um, fundraising events for, um, families in need. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they're, they're more like direct in the trenches kind of service, you know, um, you don't see them doing stuff, but they're doing stuff all the time kind Mm -hmm. of a thing, you know, like, um, they set up, 
they set up tables at like community events um, to kind of advertise, you know, that they, you can get involved in it, but like, there's not a lot of people that are, that are doing that, that are getting involved, but they do a lot of work with the food banks um, and collecting donations and funding stuff and that kind of a thing. Um, but what I do is totally different than that because um, while there is value in that, um, my school district is a very rural, very diverse population of white people. So if you could have a diverse population of white people, I have it um, <laughs> because you have the very socioeconomically advantaged students. Um, and then you have very socially economically disadvantaged students. So you have farmers and you have wall street executives mm-hmm. and they all, and they live together in the school district. Right. So there's a, uh, there's a, big disparity between haves and have nots. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's not a lot of like, there's no, there's, there's a local food pantry for the, for the area, but it's run out of a church kind of a thing. And there's like another church that has a soup kitchen, that kind of stuff. But so the, the chance for getting into that public service area, like doing a bunch of community service projects was difficult for me. So I said, what, what can I do? to really impact people in a way that, that will help them. And so I chose mental health. Um, and so we have like mental health awareness events and, uh, we have the, the one year, uh, I did a talent show and I had the kids, um, you know, up there, they were, they were performing, you know, very various, as you do in talent shows, somewhere amazing, like the next Celine Dion gets on stage and then, <laughs> You have like, you know, the, the audition outtakes from American Idol, <laughs> you know, like, but we're all having fun. We're all, it's all a good time. And so I did a, uh, I did a, a slam poem because, because I perform with the kids as well, just mm. to try to, uh, show the them that you don't necessarily have to be good at a thing <laughs> to, to be talented in air quotes, or you just have to be brave. And, uh, so I read a slam and after I did my, my, uh, couple of students came up to me and they're like, Mr. Wolf, I didn't know you wrote slam poetry. It's like, there's really a lot about me that you don't know, but that's <laughs> the tip of the iceberg. We'll just leave it there. All right. <laughs> and they said, can we, can we do one of our own? And I was like, yeah, of course. They're like, do you need to proofread it? And I was like, no, no, that's, that would be a horrible idea. No, you do you, man. <laughs> like you put it out there. And these kids, like there was that, that year we had a kid come out of the mm. closet Mm. on stage wow. in front of everybody, right? We had, yeah, yeah. We had other kids like really unpacking like trauma and stuff mm. like that on the stage, confessing it to everyone. And it was, it became like such this healing kind of event. Like wow. there was, mm. oh, that was it. That yeah. was it. You know, mm. that was when I knew I was doing good. And uh, so I also had um, a teacher you know, come up to me. She had, it was her first year teaching here at the school. And, um, she had been one of my students actually. And then she had gone on to college and got, yeah, I'm old now. Right. Like that happened. Okay. That's crazy. So, so she came up and she was like, you know, I want, I want to thank you for normalizing mental health because, um, it's really making a difference in the kids. I can see it. And it also makes a difference for me, mm-hmm. um, personally, because I feel, comfortable sharing my struggles with my colleagues. And I'm like, 
That's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Nail on the head. Hit it. Yep. Yes. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the change that I'm trying to affect right now is a uh, stigma of mental health mm. issues. Because mm-hmm. school, like middle school and high school is like so hard on your psyche. Oh my so God. hard. And you have to be comfortable. You know, you have to, I feel like you can thrive as, as a human if you feel like you're supported and you're in a comfortable environment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a rarity in especially middle school, but certainly high school. Cause that's where kids start to develop their biases. Yeah. You right. Know? Right. They start, to, they start to make that shift between, um, you know, those sort of different stages of evolution in your life where now you're, there's not just you, there's other people. The, the world expands a bit. And then you recognize that, oh, maybe these people are different than you. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in your first developmental stages, five to 10 or so, some, somewhere around there, it's usually, you know, you don't really feel anything different. We're all one. And that's right. what's amazing about children. But then you start to recognize that the world is bigger and bigger. And so if we can foster at that moment, at those critical, you know, pivot points that, no, no. Yes, there there are different people, but we're all beautiful and we're all mm-hmm. still one. <laughs> right, you know? right. Yeah. yeah. Did you keep rolling with the slam poetry as part of the talent shows? Or did... Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. So I write a new one really... for every talent show. Nice. Um, and the... and they're, they're good. The talent show has been a theme for many, many years. <clears throat> it's been a staple and it's taken various iterations over the years. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I always, so I have to, I am compelled as a human um, to get kids on stage performing something different than what they had, than than what they've normally done. Right. So like, you know, you got your high school musicals and your high school plays and like all that stuff. Right. But I've never, I mean, I've, I've, I was involved in those when I was in school and they were awesome and I loved it. Right. But I also wanted something for the kids that didn't, fit into that category Mm. because I didn't fit into that category. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I did the musicals and the plays because there was no other option, you know? And so I'm like, okay, well, this is, I guess the thing I'm going to do then to express myself in this way. Right. So Luke was with me when we, we did the timed film festivals at the school. We did like a little independent film festival. We give kids uh, a prompt and said, Hey, you have three days, go make a film. It was awesome. (laughs) It was was so good. (laughs) It was and, and thinking back on that, like it's it's crazy that we did that because nobody else does that. Like they don't take give high school students thousands of dollars worth of equipment and say, "Go take this home with you and bring it back." Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Go be creative. There's no holds barred. Like whatever you yeah. want to do is fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? I mean, it was it was like the best parts of um, improv and. Well, so we took the, I think we took the uh, influence from the 48 hour film project, which I had yes. done in school or just out of school or something. I can't remember. And, um, or on the cusp because I think we used Temple's equipment, but, <laughs> but, um, but it was really interesting because you have, you know, you give this certain suggestions, you like place, um, character, genre or something like that. Yes. And yes. you just say, Make something good. 
Well, I did character, genre, and a prop. A prop. Mm. And so I gave them a thing yeah. that they had to have somewhere in the, in the video. And, Which, and the funny part is you tell kids, like, genre, a character, and a prop, and, like, it could be a background character. Like, it could be somebody that just makes a cameo appearance, you know? Yeah. But they all took it and made it, like, the focus yeah. of the film. Um, and it was – oh, man, it was so it was amazing. Good. I it mean, was it, so amazing. The, the fact that it was – um, I, I mean, we were talking abstractly. Nobody, it, it, there's, there is footage somewhere, but unfortunately, no one knows what we're referencing. But <clears throat> the fact that I'd say the majority of them were better than the first year projects at, at my university <laughs> was saying something about you know letting kids have their creative freedom. You right, know? right. It was really, and some of them were like actually like good and compelling. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the thing that is sorely lacking from public education is that nurture of creativity and mm. finding yourself and all of that. Once you get to high school, like in elementary school, mm. they're all about be creative, play, have fun. We're going to have recess. Like this is a learning opportunity too, right? Mm. You're going to learn to play four square. Right. And it's, that's, when are you going to use that? You're never going to use four square out of high school or out of <laughs> elementary school. Right. So, but does it have value? Of course it has value because you're learning, number one, you're learning a game, you're learning rules, you're learning, right, how things are done. And you're also playing with your friends, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a really important skill to have. And hey, those of you who don't have a space on the, on the playground for Foursquare, you're going to make up another game. Just make up a game, have fun, mm -hmm. play with it. Right. And then they get to school or get back into school inside the building. And you're like, okay, now there's only one way to do this. You have to do it my way. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do it my way, you're not only wrong, you're a bad person. Mm -hmm. Let's keep doing this. I mean, it's like, come on, man. And what if you keep know? acting out, we're going to give you a medical diagnosis and feed you speed. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. <laughs> oh yeah. Exactly. No, I've, been, I've been doing a lot of research into this lately because, um, uh, I had a workshop um, maybe a year or two ago on um, adverse childhood events, um, ACEs, and mm -hmm. how they affect uh, how childhood trauma affects, you know, everything, right, as you're growing up. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've, I've been reading this, and it's, yes, ADD is real, absolutely, right? It's medical. Right. It's a, it's a misfiring of, of synapses in the brain and it's a, a lack of certain chemical, uh, chemicals imbalances and stuff. But you don't always need to treat that with just chemicals, right? You can make your own and you can figure out how to, how to do that. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I definitely had ADD when I was a kid. I still do. Right. Mm -hmm. But because I was smart, they didn't put me in that, you know, padded wall classroom that we used to have, mm -hmm. they, they put me in, on a short bus and sent me to the gifted program. Cause they were like, mm -hmm. well, you're smart. You don't have to go to class all the time. You can just go and, you know, do creative, cool things some of the day. And then the rest of the day you can come back and, you know, do this all boring stuff. But I know you missed a day every week, but it doesn't matter. Right. And I'm, like, and that sent me a message when I was a kid that was like, wait, maybe kids don't all need to do it all the same, mm -hmm. right? Maybe we could tailor this and customize this and like make it better, you know, than what it is right now. Um, maybe you could just try to foster 
like really important skills in kids that they absolutely need to know, but then do it through a lens, you know? And so like, I think if, if you look at science has a certain lens where we're, and we're and a focus that we're trying to teach and that's the critical thinking and problem solving and being, um, and, and arguing in a constructive way. Right. Um, and making claims based on things that you've observed. Um, there's, you know, the, the lens that social studies can sh- show you. Social studies is a great way to teach people about reading, about, you know, critical thinking, about, um, you know, patterns and cycles, because history is full of those, right? You just keep going in patterns and cycles. And if people can't see that, then guess what? <laughs> we keep going down the same pattern and cycle. And you, you see that, like, that's, that's what we're doing right now. And then, you know, English class, like, I think a lot of uh, English class could be really beneficial if you said to the kids, I need you to read, but I don't care what you read, mm-hmm. you know, like, when kids have that power, I see it, when kids have that power, they, they, they read. And <laughs> that's what you want them to do. Like, it doesn't matter if they can analyze the scarlet letter, like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, it's a horrible book, like. It's not good. <laughs> Let him read Tolkien or, or C.S. Lewis, you know, mm-hmm. like whatever. Um, but that, but that's, that's hard to do on an institutional level because then you have to make concessions that say that, wait, maybe this book that I've valued so much is not important to everybody, mm-hmm. you know? But I, I feel like we could get to the point where we think about skills as essential, you know, as um, c- creativity being an essential thing again. You know, like once you get to high school, you know, we, we tell you to do things in a certain way, right? And say, don't be creative about it. Do it this way, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we wonder why the kids come out of high school and they don't have any creativity anymore. <laughs> like wait, you, you, you educated it out of them. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you took it away. You took mm-hmm. away their, their choice, their ability to thrive in situations and stuff like that. So, which is super problematic. Yes, right now, mm-hmm. and it ain't going to get any less problematic as we go, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, in complex and chaotic environments, you, you can't base. It's good to know what happened, but it's not going to tell you what's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that history is irrelevant, but it's not a predictor, even though, yes, as you point out, certainly there are patterns in human behavior, but like in systems of increasing complexity, you know, what we see are emergent phenomenon, which categorically, at least in a current understanding, can't be predicted from the prior states because Mm -hmm. there is this synergy that happens and then the emergent phenomenon is like it's not it's it's it is greater than the sum of the parts Mm -hmm. and not in any way predictable from the sum of those parts right because it's it's inherently something novel that's arising right so without that creative capacity i mean we're just gonna like keep responding as if things that have happened in the past are going to be the right way to handle what's happening in the present and Right. You know, again, look around. How's that working out? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And and part of that is because 
children are complex systems, right? They're not simple inputs and outputs, you know? And so one of the things I strive my, that I pride myself on is that I know my kids, like I know Mm. them very well. And uh, one of the reasons why I know them very well is because the first day of class, I asked them really revealing questions about their, um, who they see themselves as Mm. and what Mm. are their priorities. So do you want to, do you want to take the quiz? Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. You have to, you have to answer these questions too. All right. Yeah. But Lucas, you want to go first? You want me to go first or are we just going to tandem it? Yeah, we'll tandem. Okay. I'll just do it one at a time. One question at a time. All right. So, um, who was your favorite superhero or, uh, no, sorry. Not who is your favorite superhero. If you could have a superpower or be a superhero, what Mm. would it be? The power to heal. Mm, oh, cheater. I, have, <laughs> I mean, have dude, that power. <laughs> I don't have that power. I, I understand mean, how to operate in a particular context where that arises. That's really different. Uh, that's a good question. I, and I've certainly answered this before um, in my head. And for some reason, I'm not as deep thinking right now. I like super strength. Be honest. Mm. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it says a lot about a person by by the what they choose, right? Mm-hmm. On this. And it talks about it, it tells you about their fears and it tells you about their hopes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh their dreams, their aspirations, right? Mm-hmm. So Taryn, it tells me that you are exactly in the field that you want to be in, right? Mm-hmm. Because you want to heal. Like that's that's the, your deepest, darkest desire is to um, be able to heal people and cure maladies, right? And Lucas, it tells me, I know a lot about you already, but <laughs> for those who don't, all right, this, uh, this speaks to your other passion, right? Mm. Which is martial arts, mm. right? And if you had super strength, you could be super cool at that. You know, you could <laughs> excel at that and you might make it on a TV show, it would feature your super strength because Maybe. that would be fun. That right? would be nice. Okay, cool. Um, so let's say this is this is called the miracle question. So you go to bed one night, you wake up in the next morning, and a miracle has happened. What is it? Oh, we actually realize that we are not separate from the earth. That'd be a fucking miracle, right? Yeah, I'll piggyback on that and say not only are we not separate from the earth, but we recognize the continuous nature of universe fundamentally, Mm -hmm. right? And that that recognition penetrates deeply enough that everyone starts acting from that understanding. Yes, yes. It's the law of conservation of energy, man. Yeah. Energy's not created or destroyed. Totally. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> good. It's good. So you can, from that question, you can see like, uh, from the student's perspective, what, what, what do they see as wrong with the universe or mm. their world around them? It, and especially like, how far do they see out? Mm. Right. Because mm-hmm. if they would say, you know, I would wake up the, the next morning and, and my cat would be well. You know, then they just mm-hmm. see their household as the universe, right? What is uh, their yeah. universe? Um, for for us, we're old, right? So we see <laughs> the whole universe as the actual universe, right? Right. Um, 
and maybe even all of space time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, for kids, it's, it's different because whenever, when, as they're progressing through that, their lens broadens, mm -hmm. right. And they see that they can impact more, um, more stuff around them. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Last question. Uh, let's say you become mayor, you are elected mayor of your town. Okay. That's a big town. That's a big town for you, Lucas. I don't know about you, Karen. Um, I live in Chapel Hill. It's not very oh, big. It's, it's kind of big, though. Like yeah. it's, it's bigger than Percocy. Yeah, I mean, I it's live. it's bigger than a town. I mean, it's a it's a big town. It's right. not a right. city by right. any stretch, right? Yeah. So what what happens on day one when you are elected oh. mayor? Oh God, mm. <sighs> it's a hard question for me. <laughs> And Luke, let's just say you're not mayor of the entire city of New York. Let's just pretend Brooklyn? that there's a mayor of Brooklyn. Okay. I mean, there kind of is, but. So day one, I would be looking to, I mean, I guess this probably would have happened prior to day one, right? But the thing that I'm thinking of is like a team of folks who I am confident are way smarter than I am and know about things that I don't know about that are all super relevant to how we're going to run this place and that don't all agree, but who, if I talked to any one of them, I would know that they were giving me the absolute best, most coherent expression of whatever it was they were looking at. Even if I know that if I talk to the next one, it's going to contradict that. Right. Um, so because I would say that what I see the mayor's job as is less about making decisions and more about coordinating communication across domains of expertise, capacity and skill. Right. So that 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 role, that kind of leadership where you're like, I'm not even going to pretend to know all the things, but mm -hmm. I hopefully know how to connect the people that know the things and listen to them mm -hmm. and help us all understand a way that we can through that distributed cognition and like collective intelligence and sense-making um, increase the harmony and well-being of our community. Heck yeah, man. So you, you'd assemble a council of elders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But they might not all be young. I mean, old. They, some of them might be young in this case. Um, and should be, yeah. right? Yeah. With all the perspectives. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, as you say that, I'm like, and there should be some, like a child or two, mm. actually. Yeah. Not in the day-to-day, -day, but like some kind of meeting gets convened and there's like a voice of the children. There's a mm -hmm. voice of mm -hmm. the local en environment, right? Maybe mm -hmm. even there's, you know, a voice of the waters and a voice of the flora. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, mm. let, you know, let's go for it. If we're going to counsel of elders, this, like, let's, mm -hmm. you know, let's find life expression being given voice, even if it's through the proxy of a human, but who, you know, in addition to the obvious, like infrastructure and this and that, like, where is the space for those voices that don't typically, um, we, we don't know how to listen to them maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, in civil uh, in, you know in civic discourse or in the construction of civil structures right and so how do we bring that kind of knowing 
into that circle so that the decisions we're making are not anthropocentric, right? right. Um, right. That would be another thing that I would want to see in that group. So you're doing a council of Rivendell, really? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. This yeah, so great. there's hobbits, there's elves, yeah. there's dwarves. <laughs> yeah, there's old wizards. Yeah. Trees. There's ants. <laughs> there's the ants, for sure. Yeah, the, the ants were missing yeah. from that. Mm, and fair. that's probably why the the journey was so tough, so yeah. tough because they yeah. were missing ants. <laughs> Meeting would have been really long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the book, it did last quite a while, as far as I remember. Well, but don't the ant conversations take like a hundred years or something? Oh yeah, that's right. They're they really not that for, long, but yeah. quite long. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, they got that slow time, man. <laughs> <laughs> I I would do. Um, <clears throat> Um, mandatory education on how, on waste, ma- waste management. And that means everybody's got to go to the dump. Everybody's got to like physically see how the water is treated and go see the water mm. treatment plants, see how the, the storm drains get clogged up every, every time it rains and the realities of, you know, what it takes to actually clean and provide clean water for the city. And coupled with that is a mandate that <clears throat> any any crime uh, short of you know murder or something has a mandatory public service where you're cleaning the city. And this is like helping out with everything, like literally just picking up litter. And then communities, like some incentive for community cleaning as well. And... Um, and then increasing the fines for littering, <laughs> like a thousand dollars for anything, <laughs> anything, unless you did not know that it happened. Like if it fell out of your bag and you did not see it, okay, I get that, it's fine. But other than that, <laughs> sorry, it's, it's my pet peeve and I can't stand it. But I do think yeah. that the because I'm you know um, I don't know if I I think I told you, Taryn, but our mom was an environmental science professor for many years. And she, one thing that she said that was most impactful was like taking her students to the dump Mm -hmm. and the wastewater treatment plants because it was like, I had no idea. We just put our trash here and it just stays there. Right. (laughs) It doesn't go anywhere. They don't treat it with anything. It's like, no, it's not a big compost pile or whatever. It's just like, you know, that Tonka truck from 1970 that you threw away is pretty much still there. Yeah. You know, or the wastewater treatment thing, you know, going to the creek and like taking a sample of the water and saying like, holy crap, there's like some really dangerous things in here. Like, how do we treat this so that we can actually drink it? You know, why can't we, when, when we were kids, we could, to a certain degree, there was a, such a thing as clean water on a nature hike and now there's not you don't just go scoop up water out of a, a creek somewhere that's not a thing mm-hmm. in you know when we were growing up you know it was more of a thing it wasn't you know it wasn't a pristine you know world but you know if some water got in your mouth while you were you know in the canoe in the river you wouldn't be like oh god i'm gonna get dysentery but now you might <laughs> so anyway so you can see how the revealing these questions are right <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we now know we we now know how we view the world 
right? We know how um, big we've, we view the world. And then if we had the opportunity to help, what would we do, right? Because there's, there's no wrong answer to the your mayor for a day question, right? Mm -hmm. You could say, I want to make money, you know? And so I'm going to like, you know, give, uh, cut taxes to all the businesses. And that's a thing, right? But it's not what you considered, right? You guys mm -hmm. considered something else. You were like, well, how could I help, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's indicator, you know, that's an indicator of the kind of person you are. And then the lens that you view the world, the world. Mm -hmm. And so then I can start teaching you now, right? Because now I know, okay, this is my, where my students' priorities are. This is where the, where they, what they're viewing. And now I can say, okay, I'll take that and run with it because now I know how to teach you, but I don't, that, there's no system for that set up in, in education, right? We don't mm. try to figure that out. We used to do back in the day, you used to do learning styles and, you know, you would take this little questionnaire, fill out a questionnaire and it would give you a learning style profile, which is good. That's useful. That's helpful. But since I, as I've gotten older or more experienced with education, I find that it's not necessary because you can find out more about a student by talking to them mm. than you can by giving them a, a questionnaire. Right. Yeah. But it takes time. It takes a lot of time to do that. Right. But you mean but, as far, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What do you mean as far as like a visual learner and audit, an auditory learner? learner. Right, learner. right. They give the kids okay. that whole battery of different labels that they can right. they can put on themselves for you know different styles and modalities. There's there was even like on it like do they prefer to learn in a hot environment or a cold environment? And I'm like, that's so useless for us because <laughs> yeah. you know I teach in a public school like we take it as we get it, right. you know? Yeah, like, and we put in a ticket for something to get fixed, and it happens ten years later right. when they demolish that part of the school, like. <laughs> <laughs> whatever so so the the things that there there's a distinct there's a distinct disconnect between the things that that um the systems and the bureaucracy thinks are important and what actually can teach kids you know what actually can help kids um and that's just because they're they're out of it they're not, they're not in the trenches. Like you can't, mm -hmm. you can't know what it's like unless you're in the trenches. Well, and the job yeah. of bureaucracy is to make more bureaucracy. <laughs> I mean, like, right. It is known, right. It's, there's even a name for that thing, which I cannot remember at the moment, but like, it's somebody's law. That's like, yeah, once bureaucracy begins, it just propagates. Like right. that, that's its nature is that it just generates more of itself. It doesn't ever scale back. Right. Until, you know, we, till we get to Orwell where like everything that is, what is it? It is everything that is, uh, permitted is mandatory. Or, right. You know? oh. Right. 1984. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> well, and that's also how we have a government that's like, how many members now? And not just the, the house and the Senate, but like all the, the minions that feed into that. It's like oh, yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands. It's like, uh, you know, just our tax codes alone at this point, it's like we have to hire accountants just to do our taxes and they don't guarantee that everything's cool once mm -hmm. you file them. It's like, dude, this is a crapshoot for us. Like every year, every moment is changing. So uh, don't hold me accountable. <laughs> it's like, 
Anyway, <laughs> that's a whole nother. It's thing. a tangent. Yeah, it's a tangent. Yeah. It's okay. But yeah, it ain't nimble, is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. But then, you know, teachers are, <clears throat> which is which is the interesting part. Mm-hmm. Like, because, mm-hmm. um, and the the cool part about teaching for me is that everybody remembers a teacher that they had, right. That mm-hmm. made an influence on them, that like had an impact, whether good or bad. You know, I remember my high school chemistry teacher, <laughs> he was a jerk. Like, and I remember him because he was a jerk. Yep. Right? It's not that I, I didn't follow in his footsteps. Like that's not, that was not my inspiration. You know, I was going to be a doctor because that's what smart kids did. Right. They went to school and they were a doctor. And I'm like, okay, I'm a smart kid, so I'm going to go to school be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And then I got into it, and I was like, no, no, this is horrible. But I'm really good at chemistry, so maybe I should do that. And uh, and I really like teaching people things, so that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that, right? Um, but I, I try to be at least in some way memorable mm. because – and. One of the things that my students will tell you after they've graduated is that they definitely remember aspects of my class. Like they remember things from my class, whether it's me blowing stuff up on Fridays because we have fire Fridays. Because it's, you follow uh, him on Instagram, fire because Fridays. it's alliterative. And yeah, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Chemwolf three. But um, but yeah, it's like I want that experience to be memorable. And then if they can remember me, maybe they remember what I stood for, you know, mm-hmm. maybe they remember that I stood for, you know, um, that it was an advocate for them and that mm-hmm. I, that I reminded them that they mattered on a mm-hmm. regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever can pull somebody from, uh, a dark place mm-hmm. or inspire them in a good place, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of, that's kind of the goal. Mm-hmm. Do you know, totally. um, Nora Bateson's work at all? Does that ring a bell? Gregory Bateson's daughter, one of his daughters. Um, So she has this term that she coined, which is somathesy, Um, which, you know, like she'll, she'll give you the rap about like, why should anybody make a word? Why am I doing this? She's like, but at the same time, there isn't a word that describes this particular phenomenon, which is that it, that learning is always mutual. So like there is no not learning which you right. touched on a little bit before, but like, so as you're, the reason I'm bringing this up is as you're talking about what they remember, I'm thinking about the sympathetic context of the fact that whether they remember it or not, there is this mutually entangled learning where they like, it's not even, you know, it's not what you say. Mm-hmm. It's not even what you model. Like, yes, those things are relevant, but there's like, there's this the space of relationship where this learning is happening at an even deeper level. And one of the things she points out is that since this is ongoing all the time, you know, everywhere, every when, right. We can't get it. There's no, there's no out of this, right. It's like, it's everything is from this point of view, the exact perfect, not in an idealized way, but it is the expression of the learning contexts that it has passed through and is passing through and is within at this moment, right? So like if the tree is, you know, at the edge of the cliff and it's bent, like pretty obvious, right? We can see maybe there's this wind that comes from the West and it's blown so much that the tree has actually changed its structure. Um, 
So I'm just kind of like, you know, thinking about this with your kids, right? And so it's like these, these ways of being that become the space, the contextual space and the relational space of the classroom, yes. right? That, that's in them. Yes. Whether they realize it, recognize it, can articulate it. I mean, awesome if they can. Awesome if they can remember. But it's, you know, those, those things are creating those changes because you can't right. not learn them. Right. right. And it's affecting mm -hmm. you. You can't not learn your kids when you're attending to it. You know, even mm -hmm. if we're not paying attention, we're still learning something. And often the challenging piece when we're looking at this, you know, systems wise is like, okay, well, usually the challenges arise where we can't see what's being learned. But of course, it's the things we we wouldn't wish to be learning or for someone else to learn are often the places where challenges arise when we're like using this particular lens, right? Like, right. you know, what do we right. like what our kids learn from us that we're unconscious of in our own behavior or maybe we're conscious of, but we haven't worked through enough. And then you see it reflected back to you and your kid and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, God, I'm an asshole. <laughs> In whatever yeah. way, you know? Yes. Yes. You know, so for yes. good, for ill, and for everything in between, you know, the, like the learning is omnipresent and, you know, mm. ongoing and ever deepening and unfolding. Right. And entangling. So, yeah, yeah. I find that to be true. Like, Especially, I mean, from a martial arts point of view, obviously people who learn from a specific teacher for a long period of time, or if it's your first teacher, you end up sort of mimicking them. But I find in my own body, mind, and, and somatic memory that when I get jazzed, when I start to get like that light, that switch is flipped, <clears throat> when I'm like feeling you know, I'm loosened up and I'm feeling and I really do act like my teacher, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and I like just, you know, the same things that he says sort of come out of me and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not what, what just happened, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but that's because it's that environment, environment, like you're saying, and you're, you're just sort of feeding off of each other and learning through that. And then it just gets embedded in your tissues, right? Right. It's something that you don't see as a teacher really until you get a student teacher. So I had one of those one time. I've only had one, which is very interesting, but I only had one. And she spent like, you know, the first couple months as they do observing, you know, just writing down and you know, taking notes on this is how a teacher teaches things. Right. And uh, then you, you give her the stage and let, let her go, you know, and, and give it a go. And I was like, Oh wow! I do all those. That's that's interesting. I do that. <laughs> oh, hmm. Okay, maybe I should stop doing that so much. <laughs> but also to to I do a lot to to delve into the brains of my ch children. So the other thing that I that I used to do um, is I used to have my students write an ethnography. Nice. So I was taking a uh, educational philosophy class really it's not psychology it's philosophy in my opinion so um and they were they was talking about this thing and, and that's that's so what you do is i have the students write about what brought them to me at this point in time okay so what how did your you know who are your parents how did they meet how did they bring you and what is what is valued in your household you know what is the, what are the things that that shape the way that you view the world. And I find that kids don't really know how to do it 
until they get to like their junior or senior year. Mm-hmm. Like they're almost done. And then they can, and that's how, you know, the turkey's done is when mm-hmm. they can actually like figure out how I became the person that I am, you know? Um, and it, it's, it's a very interesting exercise. You know, if you just kind of think about, okay, what makes me who I am, right? Well, there was my mom and dad and they got together. Well, why, how, what brought your mom and dad together? You know, cause there's like, and if you think about it, there's, uh, literally an infinite amount of possibilities that could have happened, but the, the one thing did happen. Right. And so why did that one thing happen? How did that one thing that did happen? How did those two people coming together, um, make you in the time and place that they came together? So it's really important to think about like, what do your parents value? And then why did that, that, what shared value brought them together and then how did that shared value then blossom into you? Right. And then what things experience, where did you experience in your life? You know, that brought you to this point. Um, and it, uh, it really helps to, to figure some stuff out. There is of course the possibility of uncovering lots of trauma that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you can actually, mm-hmm. um, cause kids will be brutally honest with you and they'll tell you all the things. Right. And you're like, I didn't want to know that, but okay, thank you. Now I have to go tell somebody. You right. know? <clears throat> and it's good that there's a system in place for that. Like that, mm-hmm. that part of the educational system is not broken. Right. Mm, good. That is very, very much a thing. It's still a bureaucracy. So it still grows and it still, you know, loses its ability to uh, do what its intended purpose was over time, but um, it still exists. And uh, it's, yeah, it's it's really important to to just get into the mind. Um, so I've also often thought recently that I should create my own PhD program mm. in uh, clinical neurobiochemistry. Like, okay, how does the brain become the mind? Because mm. I know the brain, like I know how that thing works. I know how that structure works. I know chemically how everything happens up there, and how that works but how does that translate into thoughts and then how do those thoughts translate into actions yeah i mean this is this is like a really interesting set of interrelated fields right like the um for e-cognitive science and like some of the really interesting work that's coming out of um like inside out models of brain function buzaski's work like you know embodied cognition like there's a lot mm-hmm. of really amazing thinking and research happening in this area like that's that's a super cool area of inquiry for sure yeah because could you imagine how effective you could be as a teacher or a healer if you like knew how the brain actually worked you know (laughs) how do you so you can because we all we do all these things to try to influence it right we Mm -hmm. do all these things Mm -hmm. to try to 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 because we know the mind and the body are connected right Mm -hmm. absolutely 100 percent so how do we how do we harness that connection between the mind and body to uh, allow the brain to learn things, you know, and to grow from experiences? And then how do when we have malaise, how do we fix that? Right? What mm. is going on? What is what is off? What is wrong? It's like the same thing that in my limited experience with with Chinese medicine, like you're trying to figure out what is blocked, what is 
what is interrupted, what is, uh, what is wrong with the natural flow because the natural flow works. Right. And so that's, that would be for me, uh, an amazing thing to discover, but I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're allowed to know it. Like, I don't know if the universe will let us know it. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think they're open-ended areas of inquiry and my hunch is that they will continue to be. I mean, just if we think about like the history of science in general, you know, like often people want to think of it as something that is much more static, right. Than it is, mm-hmm. or like that, mm-hmm. this is true. And we're like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it is right now. That's what we think is true. And yes, we agree that these theories seem valid, but if we look back, we can see that there were other times when we thought different things and we were pretty certain about them too. So like, you know, Thomas mm-hmm. Kuhn, like, you know, scientific paradigm shift revolution of mm-hmm. scientific thought kind of jam where it's like, there is going to be this, set of shifts but at the same time like getting on the board and surfing those waves i think has value especially if we can acknowledge that like it's all going to be contingent but i want to be in inquiring and looking you know into the kind of like the the boundary space of what we can know and understand because the more i can refine that and the more um we can sort of harmonize the nature of internal experience as the foundation of what Mm -hmm. we can possibly know about what seems to be, you know, in the external as well. Like, Mm -hmm. so if we can acknowledge that and bring that back into our scientific inquiry, I think that there, there is the potential and I'm borrowing that articulation um, from Evan Thompson. So I just want to give him props for that, but the, the the more we can lean into that, right, it starts to open up this really interesting space of praxis for science, right, where as opposed to it existing fundamentally as uh, a way of grappling with third-person objective quantitative space that we acknowledge that there's always this interplay between mm-hmm. what's going out and what's coming in and I'm I'm framing it this way because I'm thinking about your thoughts about like if I knew more about the way that brain body you know organization arising of thought like how all of that works what might I be able to do in terms of my efficacy as an educator right and I I, I definitely think that there's this incredible opportunity as we continue to dive into those spaces in inquiry into human knowledge and understanding and relationship to the natural world that have the potential to give rise to really interesting um, new approaches to working with development and mm-hmm. understanding. Mm-hmm. So off the soapbox. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's really highlights the fact that you have to remember everybody. We all have to remember that um, we're, we, we, we can only see the part of the wave that we're on. Mm-hmm. Right. We, and, and we could look back and, and look at the, the, where we have been, but we have no idea where that wave is going to go. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the, the important part is to understand that you, that this, that it is a ride. Like this, mm-hmm. this isn't, this isn't the end. We haven't learned everything. We don't mm-hmm. know all the things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when, when we thought the earth was flat, well, we didn't really actually ever think the world was flat, but it appeared flat and we could navigate it as if it was flat. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And then we thought, okay, well, then it must be round. It must be a circle, right? But it's not a sphere because we got to space and we looked at it and we're like, oh, it's kind of fat around the middle. I wonder why <laughs> it's kind of fat around the middle. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because at one point in time, it was molten, right? And when you spin a molten object, it gets fat around the middle. And because the density of the earth is not the same everywhere, then it's got a, it's got a little grimace kind of egg shape to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And but that's knowledge that not everybody needs to have all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But they need to have the knowledge of how that changed, how those paradigms were able to shift, right? And it's, it's the history of science is just super fascinating. It is just amazing, right? Mm-hmm. To think about like, a, a, like just think about the, the, what we call the quote unquote dark ages, right? Before the Renaissance. And even, even in the beginning of the Renaissance, um, there were these these people that we called scientists that were out there trying to figure out how to change base metals into gold and how to create the elixir of life and they thought it was possible and they're they're doing all these things in western alchemy western chemistry that they did for hundreds of years and you're like was there nobody that said hey maybe this isn't a good idea or maybe this isn't a possible a tangible possibility maybe we should pursue something else but like then when you look into it into the stories of the individuals yeah some of those individuals were trying to do cool science but they were constrained by this capitalist idea that i have to make money and mm. in order to make money i have to convince people that i can create money out of nothing and so i have to be a con man in order to do science Right. And so all scientists were con men and they were like, well, maybe this isn't, you know, maybe this is the way that, that it should be. And so now when we're looking at things and from our modern perspective, and, you know, and we're, we're trying to search for like the fundamental particles that make up everything in the universe. Right. And we've almost got it. We think we almost got it. And I'm like, bro, you may think you almost got it, but then you're just going to uncover another layer. Like mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going to in that pursuit, you're, you're discovering that, Oh yeah, we, we know what stuff is. We don't know what stuff is. Mm-hmm. We don't know what stuff is like. And, and it, it kind of boggles the mind. If you think about it, like on a fundamental level, we don't know what we're made of. Mm-hmm. We Mostly know we're made space. Of stuff, right. 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 Mostly which which space. is, Empty. I'm air quoting empty. Right. <laughs> right. Which is why, to, for, for me, it's it. The principles uh, that we use in Chinese medicine are so fundamental and so universal, and sh- and have the potential to be so impactful in everyday society. You know, because it doesn't matter how finite we get with our understanding. How how. Um, not finite how um how uh, the resolution becomes of our understanding right right or mm. or you know how um pinpoint or you know what kind of molecular level you want to get down to it doesn't matter because we're talking about the relationships and the principles we're talking about how the interplay works we're talking about the patterns we're talking about things forces that govern all of this and so you know you can still Sure, we can understand the relationships between electrons, neutrons, protons, all that through our theory as well. 
you know but when you think deeper into that because now we know about quarks and um all those other smaller particles <clears throat> it the, the relationships still hold the pattern still holds so it's more about the relationships than it is about what exactly does what right right it's all about the fundamental forces and how yeah. do these fundamental forces interact with each other but I like that we're diving deeper. It's interesting. It's, mm-hmm. it's it, it does uncover more about the the specific nature of things and like gives us a a new lens to focus on to look at things through. But again, the patterns I think help us to have more respect for the things that create the patterns, mm-hmm. which is our disconnect. I think when we continuously look deeper and deeper and, and finer and finer. We're, we're losing our perspective on the fact that, um, you know, we're maybe we're using the entire city's power grid to, to, to power this intense, like the, the most powerful microscope ever. But the rest of the city's gone dark and we're also in this acid rainstorm because we're just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we've, we've screwed our planet to just make enough power to like look at the most infinitesimal part of life. It always strikes me as this funny, like, figure ground reversal because, you know, the physicalist orientation to if I know the smallest particle, that means I fundamentally understand the nature of universe. Right. I'm like, I fundamentally disagree with that, which does not mean I don't think we should look at all the particles. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's not cool. the particles. It's the relationships. So from that point of view, right, it's like it's you one could make the case um that physics is not, you know, physics is usually like, this is the science that tells you about everything. It's at the root of all of it. Like maybe ecology is because ecology <laughs> is the study. And I, and, and let's think of it really broadly. Ecology is the study of relationships within a system. Mm-hmm. Right. And if we mm-hmm. lean into like a process philosophy orientation, like an, or, you know, whitehead and sort of an organismic orientation, he would say, you know, that a, a hydrogen atom, is an organism because mm-hmm. there's a relationship going on mm-hmm. and it's the relationship that actually makes it that what we would call a thing in English, but really I would like to say is a process in and of itself. So if right. we flip it and we start to look at maybe the entire space time, you know, construct as an ecology and that all of these mm. things, you know, in their movement, there's this expression of some kind of, you know, we can call it life or we can call it something that's even primary to that because life gets associated with biology and that kind of organic expression but what if nature fundamentally all nature is alive in this other way where all of these relationships are organismic right and part of a process instead of being so focused on like what makes up a a quark you know like do i have Mm -hmm. where's my spin like is a muon smaller than a gluon? Like, cool. But again, <laughs> all of these are processes in relationality that are, you know, nested holarchically within each other and in relationship to each other that give this expression. And so, which we call universe, right? And so what's tying into what Lucas is saying is that Taoist physics, right? What underlies Chinese medical theory is a way of talking about this set of processes metaphorically that mm-hmm. seems to scale from the very small to the very large, even though, you know, what we know from a physics perspective is that 
things don't really scale in that way. The quantum world and the Newtonian world are like, they don't behave in the same way. But right, we can right. look at these other kinds of principles and protocols that underlie that physicalist orientation to universe mm -hmm. and in leaning into them, maybe start to have relationship to something that's even more fundamental, right? And that more fundamental, I would offer, is actually relational. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. everything in this universe is driven by the opposite attract because the fact that opposites attract. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, if you get down to the fundamental level in the way that atoms behave, in the way that the particles within an atom behave, they behave because they have energy and opposite charges attract. So what causes that charge is something that we want to try to figure out. Like why? Do things have a charge is because they're and and when you look at that the reason why they have a charge is because there's because the way that they're spinning complements each other mm -hmm. and then okay is that a metaphor for life or is that life yes right yeah. <laughs> taryn's catchphrase is both and <laughs> yes yes i remember that yes from the first episode right and so exactly so um and and one of the things that i do to make chemistry uh more palatable for my kids is that i, I use a lot of metaphors and analogies and i talk about you know chemical reactions as boys dancing with girls and switching partners and stuff like that because so, kids can understand that um and of course in today's you know everybody's insulted or offended by everything. I have to say, this is a metaphor for chemistry class, real life. You do what you want to do. I don't care. Like it doesn't affect my life, but in chemistry class, in this instance, boys dance with girls. And they're like, well, do sometimes girls dance with girls? I'm like, yeah, that's organic chemistry. We're going to, we're not going to get to that this year. They're like, well, boys dance with boys. No, I mean, that's metallurgy. Um, we could talk about that too, if you want, but <laughs> right. <laughs> are there sometimes chemicals that don't identify as a boy or girl? Yes. Yes. That's those are noble gases. Right. <laughs> that's right, right. I think that's a really complimentary way to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a noble gas. <laughs> <laughs> so my thesis research for uh my master's in chemistry was on uh the mercury cycles. Um, and I, I was really fascinated by mercury um, as an element and the, the devastation that it can cause within the human body and how it is so pervasive in the environment and never leaves. And I really wanted to learn about that. Right. But of course, as with any topic, like once you open up a rabbit hole, like and the, my challenge was, OK, what aspect of this thing do I want to just write 20 pages on? Mm -hmm. Like cause I could write. There's novels, like there's lit literally textbooks written on this, this, this relationship. And I'm like, well, yeah, wow. How this, this is so crazy about how, how it works and interacts in the body. And if it's, if, if some sort of reaction happens in the atmosphere before it gets to the earth, it reacts in a totally different way. And then like when it gets into your body, it does it messes up with certain systems because it looks like the metal zinc, but then if it has a methyl group attached to it, it becomes an organic molecule and then it attacks totally different systems because it looks like an organic molecule. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> it's, 
this is too much, but (laughs) that's the exciting part, right? Of education is that's when you know that, that education has done its job is when you like get to a topic that you're like, I want to learn about this and then realize how far the rabbit hole goes, Yeah, you know? And you're like, and, and if you still keep climbing down the rabbit hole, then education is doing you well. Um, Mm. if you are kicking and screaming, trying to escape, (laughs) maybe not so much, but yeah. Oh, that's going to be your doctoral thesis. That is uh, the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about, you know, cause that has so many different aspects to it that, you know, it's endless, I think, but with that, but that, like you said, that's, what's going to be fun about it. Right. Exactly. So I just, I guess my goal is to try to share that fun, share that philosophy, that mindset, you know, with my students in the, in the most effective way possible. And I think by showing them the, the, by leading by example of, Hey, this is something that I really think is cool. And if you think it's cool too, that's great. You know, but if not, well, here's the parts that you have to learn (laughs) because, (laughs) because because we have to, I have to give you a letter corresponding to your achievement, Mm -hmm. you know, in in this, in this program. And it's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I've really, I've really struggled with that aspect of it lately, especially during COVID. Like, mm. you know, cause we were just trying to do our best, you know, and trying to like see how we could still be humans as we're trying to avoid interacting with other humans, but still need to interact with humans cause we're humans, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, and then there's, there's people that are, you know, colleagues of mine that were making, they were panicking. They were getting so concerned that they weren't getting through their curriculum. And I'm like, bro, (laughs) Hmm. like your kids have learned more this year than they'll ever learn in their entire life. I can guarantee Hmm. you that. Hmm. And maybe they don't know everything about algebra too, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like they made it to the end. And if they made it to the end of it and they can, say, you know what, I, I suffered through this, but I made it, that's a thing. If your students can say, I thrived through this, then they have something to teach everybody else, mm. you know, and we need to listen to them and talk to them about what they're doing, you know, how yeah. are they doing it? Like, it was it was horrible. I was trying so hard. I'm very active, as you could probably imagine. And so I'm trying to do all these things, right? Like I try to start all these clubs, try to start all these activities. And I have these ideas. And this year it was like, nah, you can't do that. That involves people being in proximity to each other. And I'm like, but we could do it outside. <laughs> Cause all of a sudden outside became this magical place, right? That, that was the thing that the pandemic has taught me is that outside is magical. Bad things don't happen outside. Right. <laughs> As long as you keep people outside, right? Everything's good. And so I figured, well, if I could keep people outside, we could do this. And I kept getting shot down with everything. Like I wanted to do a, like a a visual walk, like a, a mental health awareness walk, Mm -hmm. you know, and just do it around the stadium and people, kids carry little flashlight candles, you know, and just six feet apart. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Right. And they're outside and just do like, and, and just, take some time to meditate upon where you are right now mm-hmm. and how you've gotten there and celebrate that, celebrate mm-hmm. that you, 
you know, you've <clears throat> celebrate that you've made it at least mm -hmm. to this point. Right. Um, but that got shot down. So I did come up with an idea that didn't get shot down. Um, cause I figured I, I made a, uh, a, a British colleague of mine, uh, propose it. And when British people propose things, <laughs> it seems like a better idea. I think. <laughs> uh, at least I found that the accent. I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so we created a wall of positivity, um, in, in the school and we, and we, um, I had the kids write, write out, you know, just, just write something that you think will help or encourage others. And we filled a whole wall with it. It was, mm. yeah, yeah. It was right in the main foyer of the school. Like you walk by it every day mm. and it was, it was cool. It was really good. Um, and you would cat, I would catch people. I would look at the wall all the time, you know, cause mm. it was my baby, you know, <laughs> and as I'm watching it, the people interact with it. It's like, yeah, yeah. I felt like the pride of an artist, you know, when somebody's mm. like observing their paintings in a museum, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, yeah. You're getting feelings from this. This is good. Well, that's a great way to start your day too, you know, right? just to walk in and see that. Yeah. You know, you have that. It's almost like a little mantra. Right. Like whatever you live by. Right. So now my challenge is how do I take that to the next level? How do I keep it going? Because whenever I get a thing that somebody else agrees with is a good idea, well, then I got to take it to the next level. You know, I got mm -hmm. to go further with that. So how do we go? How do I go further with that? Mm -hmm. um, and make it part of like a daily routine for a kid is that they go in and they say, they find something positive, affirmative, a goal, something like that. How do I make that a part of like a daily routine? Mm -hmm. You I should, ideas. you should talk to our last guest. Yeah. <laughs> her, her name is Amy Edelstein. Okay. Um, she's going to be on this week. Nice. Actually, she's going to be out this week. So you check that out. But She's amazing. She's, I think, you guys actually should collaborate. If it sounds like, to be honest, yeah. What do you think, Sharon? I think that you would really enjoy her work. Um, she's got a fantastic book called The Conscious Classroom. Mm. That um, her work is primarily about contemplative practice, mindfulness practice. Um, maybe not what immediately comes to mind when you think of that, but um, definitely like teaching kids skills for self-regulation for mm. um you know understanding their own awareness understanding yes. kind of their like cognitive landscape understanding their place in deep time understanding cultural factors i mean like y you definitely would have a good time chatting with her and um yeah. she her program she wrote that book in 2017 lucas how long is it now they've been doing it for Oh, right. 10 uh, years or something. They've been doing this program and it's been entirely funded um, through grants and private donorship. They just dropped it into the public school system, like in some of the most challenged parts of Philly oh, cool. in the inner city. Oh, awesome. Um, and in they've had incredible yeah. results with the kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so, yeah, you would. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll connect you guys because that's whew. yeah is that yeah. season two season two we're just going to do interactions we're just going to connect all the people i don't know about just but it's definitely lucas's oh, baby that's i mean that's i think where it's where i see idea. it going yeah, yeah. tetralog could you imagine <laughs> yes and oh. then we just we each pull in someone else and then we're like hey oh, this man. is somebody i know 
Well, it's yeah. like Matt keeps wanting us to have his teacher um, mm. on. And I'm like, well, we should just have Matt and his teacher on. Like, yeah. clearly Matt wants to have a conversation with Harrison. Like, <laughs> I don't know Harrison and his work. Like, I mean, right. granted, I can talk to people whose work I don't know. But I'm like, but at the same time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. When someone who has, you know, specific questions after years and years of practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Jeremy, we're kind of coming up a little bit over 90 minutes here. I'm wondering if thoughts um you want to close with if there's people who want to connect with you or your work in some way how they might reach you we can put that in the show notes so i don't know that we need you know any any closing putting a pin in it for now anything you're hawking that you want to sell <laughs> <laughs> we can we can let the public know about our fan fiction you have a hot sauce coming out in the that that's you right are that's making... true oh you have beer I do. I do make beer. Oh, wow. Um, but not selling it. Okay. But I don't sell it. Yeah, so no. Fine. But if somebody, if one of the uh, listeners was like, man, I got a lot, I got a lot of capital that I want to get rid of <laughs> and I want to invest in a thing that I think might work really well. It's good beer. I could go with a, you know, I could be a craft uh, brewer. Nice. That would be a good thing. My latest beer is called the uh, Death Star Destroyer. Nice. Um, it's an Imperial it. Stout. Of course it is. Yeah. And it's, it's really good. It's very tasty, yet it hits you very hard. Um, but there's only one way in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. No boofing. No, as far as like, like I, yeah, I mean, I have an Instagram, but it's, it's not like I don't monetize it. It's just for fun. And mm -hmm. I, uh, I have a Snapchat, but that's, I don't know how to use that because I'm not. <laughs> 30 or younger, <laughs> you know, it's like, like how do I, I don't know. People want to yeah. email me. They can, that'd be kind of cool. If people were like, Hey, I got a question for you. We mm. should have a conversation. Like, yeah, I'd love to have a conversation. Sweet. Mm. Cause I love having conversations with people mm -hmm. because like, and this is something, you know, that, that my family uh, has lamented many times over the years is like, whenever we go out somewhere where there's other people guaranteed, one of us is going to meet, make new best friends with multiple people. I mean, uh, it's just, it's a thing, right? Cause <laughs> I'm very interested in people's stories. Like I love the human experience and I love people's humans, human experiences, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think it makes us better humans if we understand each other's human experiences. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the, how we end it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes us better humans when we understand each other's human experiences. You could be, that could be my tagline. I love it. The power of story. <laughs> the power of story. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Cool. Well, it's been a total pleasure. Thank you yeah. so much for taking the time. I mean, I know you kind of had to talk to your brother, but you know, yes. it was our time. You, but, uh, this was scheduled, but nonetheless, <laughs> no, super, for super awesome this. to talk. This is, this is fun. You know, this yeah. is a really cool deal. And, uh, I hope it blows up for you guys. It makes it amazing. We just want I mean, people to like hear the conversations because we think that each one of them has so much inherent value, right? And I mean, we're having a blast, right. but also I'm like, you know, I don't really care about, we're not trying to monetize this and I don't, you know, I don't need like some kind of numbers thing to feel good about myself. But I feel like these conversations um, are beautiful and powerful and yeah. they're certainly enriching our lives. Mm -hmm. And I would love other people because I'm sure 
we ain't the only ones that might get something out of them to have the opportunity right. to share in that. So that's really the, yeah. like the dream is that like the people that would benefit from hearing these conversations get to hear them. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe there's a teacher somewhere that's starting out and they're like, totally. can I affect change and how do I affect change? And I'd say, just keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> just keep doing it. Amen. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Follow Something your path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you, man. Gonna, thanks, buddy. I'm going to get going and I will hopefully see you in real life at some point, Taryn. And yeah, Lucas, for sure. I'll see and you I, soon. I, yes. I'm serious about wanting to continue this conversation on a more personal and teaching my kid <laughs> level at some point. So, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, brother. All right. I'll see you.